Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. I want to begin by correcting one thing I said in my last uh, podcast episode in that I was talking about Jim Turner from Nashville, was the pitching coach for the New York Yankees for 11 seasons and spent one season as the manager of the Nashville Vols. When I said during his minor league career, he pitched for the Boston Red Sox. He did not. He pitched for the Boston Braves, the National League Boston Braves, and they were known as the Boston Bees in those old day, those days too. But I want to uh, st- I want to talk about Jim Turner, but I want to start off by talking about 1992 when Major League Baseball decided to expand for 1993 with the Florida Marlins and the Colorado Rockies. They needed extra minor league affiliates, too. And so uh, what they did was they gave Charlotte a AAA International League expansion club. And so when that happened, the Charlotte team in the Southern League needed a place to play. And Larry Schmidt came up with an idea to move that franchise temporarily, if needed, to Nashville so that they could play in Greer Stadium while the Nashville Sounds were out of town. And everyone agreed, and Schmidt said, let's call them the Nashville Express, X-P-R-E-S-S Express. And that was to start with the 1993 season. Another thing that happened was Michael Jordan, the great NBA Hall of Famer, decided he had had enough at the time of basketball, left the NBA, and was signed by the Chicago White Sox to attempt to acquire a professional baseball career. And the White Sox assigned him to their double-A franchise, the Birmingham Barons, which was a member of the Southern League. Oddly enough, they are still have that relationship. The Chicago White Sox still use the Birmingham Barons as their double-A club to this day. So that meant when the Birmingham Barons came to Nashville to play the Nashville Express, Michael Jordan was on that team. Now, another aside to that was my uncle, Walter, Uncle Nip, we called him. My dad was Virgil, and Walter was his brother, owned Nashville Sporting Goods and also owned a portion of the Nashville Sounds. And he would tell us to come down to his store anytime we needed tickets to a ball game. So if the Sounds were in town, we could go down there anytime and look him up. He'd go back to his desk, to his office, and open his desk and pull out a handful of tickets and say, how many tickets do you need? He was always so good about that and would give us whatever we needed. We never took more than that than we needed. We didn't hawk them or anything. We weren't, were not going to do that. But we certainly enjoyed seeing the Nashville Sounds play. And with the Nashville Express coming to town, we would go down there and ask him if we could get some tickets in right field because we would like to watch Michael Jordan play in the outfield. And we did. And the crowds were enormous, I think, when that happened. And for the for two years, 1993-94, the Nashville Express came to Nashville on a regular basis until they eventually moved away. That team, oddly enough, to this day, is the Rocket City Trash Pandas, if any of you are aware of the Huntsville uh, area team called the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Well, that was, at one time, the Nashville Express. Anyway, uh, one day, my uncle asked Dad and I if we'd like to come down and go to, he'd like to treat us at Sluggers, which was the restaurant overlooking home plate at Greer Stadium. If you remember, those of you who remember, it was a glass front. I think it was on the fourth floor. You'd go up the elevator, and you could watch the game and have your 
supper, if you were lucky enough to get a table by the window, it was all glass, and you could watch the game. Well, we sat down, and guess who came and sat down next to us? It's me and my dad and my Uncle Walter. It was Jim Turner. Now, the great part about that, I knew who he was, but to listen to him talk about how games are played, how players play the game, uh, how a catcher crouches and makes a play to a throw to second, how a pitcher toes the rubber, tries a pickoff move, throws with a different grip on the ball for a knuckleball or a fastball or a curve or a slider. He would talk about all those things, even how a batter would swing, whether he had his bat on his shoulder or had it cocked in a different way, and how he would follow through and how he would take his eye off the ball, things like that. It was not about some of the stats that we hear today. Certainly, I don't remember Jim Turner talking about bat speed or exit velocity and OPS and things like that, you know, ERA and one lost and batting average and home runs were the key sources, I think, to consider for stats back in those days, the things that you could read off of baseball cards back in those days. But it was just exciting to listen to him talk about the way the game was played. And he also said, one time I remember, maybe more than that, when uh, Michael Jordan came to bat, Walter asked him, do you think he'll make it to the majors? And Mr. Turner said, I don't think he'll make it to the majors. He can't hit a curveball. And you can't teach someone to hit a curveball. Now, I guess that's up for discussion whether a coach can teach someone to hit a curveball. Nobody ever taught me to hit one. I was lucky enough to hit a fastball, but I certainly had trouble with a curveball, and that's a that's a classic pitch. You know, sometimes pitchers only have a fastball and a curve. There are, these days there are more pitches, obviously, than that. But I just found that fascinating that he would say that. And, of course, Michael Jordan did not make it to the major leagues and went back to basketball. But let me tell you about more about Jim Turner because he was honored. He was revered in Nashville baseball circles in many, many ways. He was born on August the 6th, 1903 in Antioch. James Riley Turner began his journey in baseball in March of 1922 when he tried out for the hometown Nashville Vols as a catcher in the presence of manager Larry Doyle, pitcher Red Lucas, outfielder Mike Burke, and third baseman Hap Morris. They must have been looking at him by committee. But this is what Turner heard, come back next year. And he spent the rest of the year playing semi-pro ball in the Nashville area. His brother Bryant Turner was usually the pitcher on their teams, and when Bryant failed to show up for a game for Nolensville, Jim pitched the game and struck out 18 batters from Gladeville. He was a pitcher from that time on, and one of the spectators told Little Rock manager Kid Elberfeld about Turner, and on the team's next visit to Nashville, the Travelers' manager signed him to a contract for $175 a month. In March, Little Rock sent Turner to Paris, Tennessee in the Kitty League, where he played in 1923 and 1924. He won 14 games the first year and 16 games the next. Now, Jim Turner was known for collecting his uniforms, balls, uh, bats, and keeping them in his home. He lived on Woodmont Boulevard. And I remember that I had been told that uh, after he passed away that some of his things were going up for auction. He had two daughters. He didn't have any sons. And everything that was sold was to go to Vanderbilt University. I purchased 
One of his Paris jerseys from 1924, I believe, it's got a P on the left chest. It's a little faded, but it's in pretty good shape. It's got some tobacco stains down the front of it, so there's some tobacco juice uh, DNA from Jim Turner on the front of that jersey. But I treasure that jersey. It's a, it's a great-looking jersey to this day. He was sent to Winston-Salem in 1925 for the next five seasons. He had stops in Greensboro, Portsmouth, Norfolk, Selma, and back to Greensboro. And during the winter of 29-30, Hollywood of the Pacific Coast League purchased him where he played for three seasons. Then he spent four seasons in Indianapolis, where in 1936 he won 18 games and he was sold to the Boston Braves. He had spent 14 years in the minor leagues. And here he had the break into the major league ball he always wanted. And amazingly, as a 32-year-old rookie in 1937, Turner won 20 games, had a National League best ERA of 2.38, led the league in shutouts with five, and complete games with 24. And the next season, he was selected to the 1938 National League All-Star team. Two years later, he pitched in the 1940 World Series for the Cincinnati Reds, and in 1942 spent part of the season in Newark after having been sent to the New York Yankees, where he ended his playing career at 41 years of age in 1945. He signed to manage Beaumont in the Texas League in 1946, where his team finished fifth, and he went to Portland for the next two seasons as manager and finished third and fifth. And when Casey Stengel, posing manager at Oakland, was named manager of the Yankees, Stengel wanted Jim Turner to become his pitching coach in 1949, and he did. And amazingly, again, during his 11-year tenure with the Yankees, he developed the pitchers who led the Yankees to nine pennants and seven World Series championships. Now, skip forward to 1959. It was pretty much known that Turner was not going to be retained after the 1959 season. And being from Nashville, and with Dick Sisler having resigned as the manager of the Nashville Vols to go to Seattle to manage, well, it was uh, quite an attempt for Vols Incorporated, the civic uh, organization that was developed to to uh, become a, a, a the franchise holder of the Nashville Vols. All those committee men got together to, in a hurry to try to sign Jim Turner as manager. And on October the 27th, 1959, in bold font in all caps, the Nashville banner headline read, Jim Turner is named new manager of Vols. And underneath was printed, ex-Yankee coach, surprise choice to replace Sisler. I think it was a great surprise to the fans, and it was announced in such a way that it had been so quiet that it was the talk of the town and the talk of the South also. As I said a few days earlier, Dick Sisler had agreed to become the manager of the PCL Seattle Rangers, and board chairman Jack Norman of Vols Incorporated, that was that publicly held ownership group, worked quickly behind the scenes and started a committee to get busy to sign Jim Turner Turner was not expecting a contract, but he was. it came out of the clear blue sky. But the way that it transpired uh, to get Turner's signature on a contract, board chairman Jack Norman had to convince other owners of the club to give full reign of the ball club to, Nash, to the Nashville native. And he got that unanimous approval. Probably was the only thing that would allow Jim Turner to sign with Nashville. The former general manager, Bill McCarthy, had run the Nashville franchise since 1955, and when McCarthy left, it allowed Norman the promise to promise the one thing Turner desired. McCarthy gave this farewell statement that explained his resignation, and I think it had a tone of bitterness. 
And he said the interests of Nashville baseball will be better served by the selection of a general manager who would have the unanimous support and confidence of the board of directors. So it appeared Turner would have his hands full right away. Uh, Not only did McCarthy and sister leave, but Bill Lambie resigned as manager of the concessions to take a job in Chicago. And Chuck Swope quit as team trainer to become the athletic equipment manager at Vanderbilt. Anticlimactic to the hiring of Turner, and before the board of directors got around to approving, a report was given by an auditor of the Nashville Ball Club's finances. A man named John S. Glenn was the auditor. And he said uh, to to the Vols Incorporated owners, receipts for home games were $127,183. Now, Nashville drew 129,125 paid fans. So there was less than a dollar profit was made off of the fan attendance. The concessions profit was 18000 plus, and that was the second largest source of income. And then for expenses, transportation, hotels, and meals totaled a little over 22000 when the team traveled, with, while Nashville took in only 10000 for those games for a net loss of $11,494. For the year, the payroll of players and manager was $83,887. Sisler's salary was unreported, but McCarthy's salary had been a little over $8,000, and Turner's salary would be $17,500 for filling both posts. Now, Jack Norman chalked the season up to one of mixed success when he said, we have learned and we see where we can do better next year. And they put all the weight of the success of the ball club on Jim Turner's shoulders. With full control of the team, Turner managed the Cincinnati Reds affiliate as field manager and also as general manager. Uh, The Cincinnati Reds affiliate uh, sent him Johnny Edwards, utility man Rod Keneal, and pitchers Jim Maloney and Jack Balchin, among others. And his team finished sixth in the Southern Association with 71 wins and 82 losses. But really, right at the beginning, he moved quickly to try to get the team established. He hired uh, Bill Giles, the son of National League President Warren Giles, as business manager, and Lem Whitey Larkins as the operations supervisor. And he, before Sisler even left to go to Seattle, Turner hired him at $100 a week to help sell tickets. Turner was off and running with an eye on taking the Nashville Vols to greater glory than experienced the last few years, and it really wasn't all about how the team finished in the standings. It was about how the team finished uh, with the bookkeeper. The day that Turner was announced, Nashville, Tennessean sports writer F.M. Williams wrote, Jim Turner, who started his baseball career on Nashville Sandlots, returns home in the twilight of a great career for his first connection with the city's pro team. Nowhere in all of baseball could there have been found a man who would have the support of Nashville fans as Turner will have in it really did appear to be a marriage made in heaven. Turner said, in 37 years, I've never been home during baseball season, and I welcome the opportunity to be here next summer. I love Nashville and always have. And with attendance in the minor leagues waning, the question was what it would be a successful decision to bring Turner in, or would it lead to divorce at the end of the 1960 season? Well, Nashville's attendance was 102,000 during 1960, and that was a decline of 20% from the season before. So Turner left. He returned to the majors, this time with an assignment by the Reds as pitching coach between 1961 and 1965. And then he returned to the New York Yankees in 1966 and retired in 1973. Well, he returned to Nashville once again 
to attend college and Sandlot games, was a member of the Nashville Old Timers Baseball Association, served as president, was a season ticket holder with the Nashville Sounds and with the Express. With their inception in 1978 until his passing on November the 29th, 1998. In 1988, he was given the Old Timers uh, inaugural Mr. Baseball Award. There's really not a finer man than Jim Turner was to the Nashville baseball community as far as what he did overall outside of Nashville, and he came back to Nashville in that one season. I'll never forget that one night in 1993 when I got to watch not only um, Michael Jordan play to a full house at Greer Stadium, got to sit with my dad and my uncle to watch a game, but I got to hear Jim Turner talk about baseball, true baseball, as it was meant to be played. I hope you enjoyed this segment of Skip's Corner. I want to say a couple of other things. We lost a couple of friends. Uh, Roy McDonald was an umpire in the Nashville Sandlots for a long, long time. He passed away recently, and so did Larry Taylor, was an infielder, second baseman, I think, with the Nashville Vols. Bobby Dernball told me that as they were the double play combination, Larry Taylor would always put the ball right where it needed to be for Bobby to cross the bag and make a throw to first base for a double play. We remember Larry Taylor and Roy McDonald. We also remember Gene Smith, who's had a heart attack and possibly a stroke. Uh, Jim Turner's nephew was Gene Smith. Gene Smith is a longtime old-timers baseball member, too, was a past president, and I want to remember him because he's such a valuable member of our organization, as Roy McDonald and Larry Taylor were, too. If you'd like to know more about a particular subject, you can write me at 262downright at gmail.com or you can go to baseballinnashville.com and click on the contact tab and fill out the form and send me a note. Oddly enough, I've been mentioning that for the last episode since this started and I never did have that contact tab on there. So I hope you'll forgive me. I didn't really realize that. I thought it was there, but that was for another thing. But if you'd like to write to me, I would love to hear from you. And I hope you've enjoyed this segment of Baseball in Nashville at Skip's Corner. And I hope that you enjoyed hearing about Jim Turner. And I hope, once again, that you'll join me another time. Thank you.